everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 143 of the John Riley Project. And we got another great guest today. This is Jimmy Karam, a candidate for Poway Unified School District for School Board. Welcome, Jimmy. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, John. Thanks for having me. You know, we got to a chance to meet maybe about three, four weeks ago um, over at, what is it, King's Coffee in Powell? Hey, What's the King's Craft Coffee, yeah. King's Craft Coffee. So, um, yeah, got a chance to meet there and just so happy you were able to join me here on a podcast episode. And yeah, no, no, I really enjoyed that. It was, it was good. Yeah, I've been watching your podcast, so it was kind of, it was really nice for me to get the chance to actually talk to you in person and, uh, and also get the opportunity to come here on, on your podcast. So Super. So I'm hoping that you know, during this episode, the voters here in the Poway Rancho Bernardo um, area, um, Saber Springs area, can get to know you. Um, so maybe if you could just give us a little bio on yourself. Um, you know, why you're running, your background. Just tell us a little bit more about you. Sure. So um, first and foremost, I'm retired military. I retired uh, from the Navy back in uh, 2016. So, and uh, we. My last tour was actually at the Naval Academy, where I got to be an economics professor, and then I ended up running the department for a couple of years. And I really enjoyed I really enjoyed uh, interacting with students. Uh, I was also, you know, an academic counselor, coached their football team as well as a baseball team as an uh, rep, an officer rep there. So, so when I retired, I knew I wanted to do. I knew I found my passion in education, and then. And I always knew I had a passion to serve serve my country or serve publicly. So, so I wanted to, I was looking for something to run for, and then uh, just made sense to run for a school board. And that's what I did when I when I retired in sixteen. And then, um, so that was that that election there was like you know was that large, and so I thought I'd get another opportunity in two thousand eighteen. But then they they kind of cut up the district, and so my my district that I currently live in District E was not up for for uh, for grabs yet. So, but so in, in doing that. Um, you know, retired military education. I uh, really enjoyed that. Um, I wanted to do something that I really wanted for myself when I when I retired. So I went back and got a, a, a master's degree in performance psychology. We can talk about that too. And and so in these last three years, I've been I've been helping out Poway High School football as their leadership mental skills coach. And, and so that's something that I really enjoy, along with my day job as a program manager. So, right on. But, um, that's great. Yeah. Well, we lived we lived in Poway before we lived in Poway since two thousand seven, and and we were going to um, we lived in Saber Springs, so we've been here. We knew we, when I retired from the, the Navy that we were going to come back to Poway, so that was always a you know, kind of no brainer for us. So, what's did you say it was? Um, what the, what's the district letter? Is it E? Yeah, it's yeah, it's District E. It's kind of they in the past I've seen it as area A B C D and E. Now now they're district according to the website. So. Um, yeah, so District E is basically the south side of Poway, running from uh, Morning Creek Elementary all the way over to Garden Road Elementary, and then Meadowbrook Middle School is in there as well. So there's a total of seven schools. Okay, and and then does it all? It includes Saber Springs as well, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so Saber Springs would be like the um, yeah um, Creekside Elementary, and then and then Morning uh, Morning Creek Elementary too. So okay. Two there. Yeah. And my kids when my kids went to Creekside or back in the when first moved. To San Diego in 2007. So, okay. So, does the I'm just trying to get an understanding of where the lines are drawn. Yeah. Is it, does your district go um, north of Poway Road at any point? Um. Yeah. So there's Pomerado uh, Elementary, and then there's um, Midland Elementary. It goes up to Meadowbrook Middle School, 
and um, yeah, and then Valley's part of that. So there's like six elementary schools and one middle school. So it's right along that Highway Road corridor. Okay. Well, good. I mean, we're getting a, a chance to have um, potentially another uh, Poway resident on the Poway school board. So right, right, right. really excited that you're running. Um, you, you know, one topic I want to talk about, and this is kind of the latest buzz, is this Instagram account that we've discovered that a lot of students have been sharing stories um, about racism and other things that they've encountered as a student at Poway Unified in various high schools. And I was wondering if you've got a chance to, to look at that. I did. Um, so there's um, black and PUSD and then there's LGBT in, in PUSD. There's actually two accounts. So that I, I just got turned on to that about a week or so ago and I was reading through it and it's, it's pretty eye opening. Um, my two oldest went through Poway High School. And so I, I heard about some of these instances, but to actually see it in writing is, is another thing. It really, it really, it really, um, it really spoke to me and I was like, wow. And then I don't know if you noticed, but like maybe a day or two ago, I started seeing teachers posting on there and teachers were starting to talk about their experiences. Um, and they, and I think it was, it, it's turning out to be a good platform for, for students and teachers and even some parents to be able to just to kind of, kind of speak their truth and, and, and mm-hmm. make people much more aware of what's really going on. Was there anything so, that you heard there that, or read that surprised you? Uh, I, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. I, you know, you don't, I, I'm not, I, you know, I, I don't, <clears throat> how do I say this? So it's really hard to be put, put myself in, in, in their shoes, right? If, mm-hmm. if you're an African-American, I mean, there's no way I can put myself in anyone's shoes there. Um, and so, this, and you know, it's always been an issue. It's an issue whether you're talking at the local level or even at the Naval Academy, for a matter of fact. Uh, we have those issues. So you know what's going on. But then, um, again, when you read, when you read the text, it, it just, it really takes another level of, you know, experiencing it and, and seeing it. And it's just like, wow, I, I couldn't imagine what some of those kids are going through. Um, so it, it needs to be addressed. It needs to be heard for sure. Well, I think the school board is planning to um, issue some sort of a resolution to condemn racism um, mm-hmm. and bigotry. But I'm wondering what, what can they actually do? Is there a, any ideas you have that could, maybe ease some of these tensions? Yeah. So I think it's important um, that there's a safe place for students and, and parents and, and teachers like to go to. Right. So if you have a safe place that people know that they can have an outlet to when they're experiencing something of, of this nature, that they can actually um, be heard and someone can actually um, provide the assistance and support that's necessary for some of this. Um, I, I, you know, we're talking about the Naval, I've been talking about the Naval Academy. They do have, it's called a safe place. So basically they provide extra training for teachers and, and professors and administrators, and they get this extra training on how to deal with situations like this. So if, and then they have a little placard they put up on their office, um, door, for instance. So any student that's experiencing sexual harassment or assault or you name it, racism, if they see that placard on, on that office door, in this case, probably you know, classroom door, then they know that they can go talk to that faculty member and, and have a, a, an honest conversation. And there's, there's boundaries as to what can be exposed and what couldn't, but, but giving the, the, the teachers the right training to deal with situations and it's volunteer too. So it's not like everybody gets it. If you want to be known as having a classroom as a safe place, then you go get this extra training. And then, and then it's a, it's a sign that, that students can see. And, and so when they're experiencing something traumatic like that, or, or even a microaggression, they can go to that teacher and have a good, honest conversation. With them. 
Yeah, I think that'd be a good start, definitely, um, to at least address it. And it is good that, you know, we're turning over rocks, right, and kind of looking at what's underneath and exposing everything so we can now figure out how to take the best action forward. Right. I totally agree, 100%. Yeah. Um, You know, you, you... this is a little bit of a switch of gear, if you don't mind me going there. But um, you talked about being the mental skills coach for the Poway High football team. Yeah. Tell me about that experience. What What were you um, learning about students? What were some of their challenges and what were you able to help them accomplish? Right on. So I like I mentioned, so when I when I got back, when I retired from the military, um, you know, football has always been part of my life. So I, I, I just love football with a passion. So mm-hmm. I went and I volunteered. Um, I was like a linebackers coach for the freshman team at Poway. Nice. And at the same time, I, I was getting my uh, second master's in uh, performance psychology from National University. And it was something I really enjoyed. So think of like a sports psychologist, what you would learn as a sports psychologist, but, but for performance based. So it could be for musicians. It could be for, you know, um, actors. And so anything. And so the idea is you learn this, this, these skill sets and then you teach them to, to the students. And so in doing that, I realized after my first year, um, that I could have probably more of an impact on the team, not just as a position coach, but maybe as a mental skills and leadership mm-hmm. coach. Scott Coates, the, uh, he was the head coach there. He, he stepped down after last season. And so I approached him with this idea of, of taking on this new position. And, um, you know, it would be volunteer. It's kind of a new thing. And I would use it as my field research um, project for my, for my master's program. Uh, two years into that, it, it was fantastic. So, what we did was, and, and Scott's idea was, let's have a, a leadership council. So I would meet with these students, volunteer again um, once a week, and I would kind of talk about leadership skills. And we talk about um, mental skills, like, you know, how to deal with adversity, how to, how to uh, um, identify and address negative thought patterns, how to focus and how to concentrate on the task at hand kind of stuff. Um, so so he, was, he was all for it, which, which I love him to death for because, you know, it, you know, he's been coaching for 20 years. Not many coaches I know will let you come into their house yeah. and, and kind of, you know, kind of, you know, stir up the pot a little bit. Right. But he was all for it. Um, and one of the first things we did was we, um, we took some time out in the off season and we came up with a vision statement. So we took the, the rising seniors and juniors and we worked on a vision statement. Like, what does it mean? We talked about their purpose, their mission, um, their values. Um, so there's lots of good research that says any adolescent will be successful if they can identify their values and hold, hold true to them. So we, we spent some time on it and, um, we came up with a really good mission statement or vision statement. And I told them. Well, we kind of talked about what it meant. And what was really fascinating with that group of kids is that community was really one of the biggest things for them. They talked about what would their legacy be. And, I, and I, you know, having these conversations with them, it took me way back when I was in high school too, right? So many questions like, what's going to happen after high school? How am I going to be remembered, you know, by my, by my parents, by my friends and my family and my, you know, my community? And that was really at the forefront of their mind. So, um, yeah, Vision statement is like to pursue greatness and all that we do through trust, perseverance, and dedication for the growth and legacy of the team. That legacy part really spoke to um, to the community aspect of it. Um, so, so we did that, and we, we again we met every week. I would observe their um, performance on the field, and I learned it wasn't just the students, but it was the coaches need use some help too right and even the parents which but the parents but the coaches they've been coaching because they've been doing that how you know that's how they were taught that's how they coached you know for 20 years but but not to say it was right or wrong but hey there's there's some ways we can improve on on some of your, your techniques and so forth so we did a little bit of that as well 
And again, Scott was, he, it was, it was hard and, and, but we, you know, we got through it and it, I say it was hard because, you know, having a, an honest conversation with a professional and who's been doing something for 20 years and, and, and helping them get better. And that's not easy to, to have on both sides. <laughs> and Scott and I had that, um, early on, we had these really good heart to heart conversations and, 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 um, it wasn't always what you want to hear, but he definitely took it on board and he probably doesn't even know what I'm talking about in this podcast. So that's great. Um, but I would say my Super Bowl and that whole experience, I, I do want to share this with everyone because I think it really goes to, to the impact that it's had on this program. If you recall, and I know the community doesn't recall this, but if you go back to uh, last year in April, we had the, the mass shooting over at, at the um, at the at the synagogue, and and they're like, you know, it was pretty tragic as it was. Uh, there was a moment where I think one of the parents came to Scott and said, "Hey, we need we need some help, um, you know, setting up for Friday dinner and see if any of your football players, are, you know, want to help out." And so from Scott, the conversation went. He, he took you know at his classic football players and he asked them, "Hey." We um, they need they need our help. Does anyone want to volunteer to go help on a Friday evening? And I think maybe four or five kids raised their hand. And this is about there's probably about you know thirty or forty kids at this. And only four or five raised their hand say they want to volunteer. It was like a short notice kind of thing. And then one of the rising seniors um, raised his hand, and he wasn't the team captain yet. He eventually became team captain, but he raised his hand and he said. Um, no, I need more. I need more from you guys. I, I, this is our community, and I need more. I need more people to step up. And and yeah. and, and you know, I don't know if you remember the, the Palmerado News had or the Chieftain had the, the picture of like 34 Highway football players helping out, and and that was fantastic. And I was I wasn't a part of that. That all happened, and but but I know I was I was a part of it in the sense that we talked about community and the importance of it, and and we always talked about stepping up when the, when the time was coming, and then to have have another, you know, rising senior step up and say, no, I need more from you guys. That was, was fantastic. And so I, I'm, I'm really, really happy to be a part of that team. That was, that was great. Yeah. That's, uh, hopefully that's I answered that question. It's kind of a long question, but a long answer, but that, that was pretty awesome. That's got to be a great experience. And, you know, sometimes these young men and women will surprise you, you know, in our community of how, how adult-like they really are, you know, yeah. in terms of their maturity. Uh, so it's really neat to see that happen um, and to experience that. And the other, the other thing that we did too, which I, I, it comes to mind when we talk about that, is just teaching these football players how to advocate for themselves, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, they're only like 15, 16, 17-year-old, you know, adolescents. And, and to be able to not say challenge, but to be able to question authority doesn't always come natural and not in, not in a productive manner, right? Not in one, not in a way that comes off as being rebellious or just, you know, obnoxious, but have an adult conversation. And so there were a number of times where I met with these football players. So they had some kind of gripe going on with, the, with the, the, their teammates or with the coaches, but they didn't quite know how to address the situation or how to, how to voice their, their opinion. And so I would meet with them on one-on-one occasions and, and we would talk and I would say, look, uh, these are these are the ways you can go, and I give them different examples of how to approach the situation and just help them have an open mind. And but it was fantastic when they when they took me up on it and they actually met with their coach or met with their teammates and they addressed these difficult situations, and they were able to advocate for themselves. They were able to give themselves a voice and be heard. And and seeing that happen, that was also it was very rewarding for me and, and, and made it all worthwhile. That's terrific! Yeah. Wow, um, <laughs> you know, and and I think. That's a pretty unique thing that you have as a candidate is a, a lot of direct contact and experience working with students, kind of getting a pulse on what some of their concerns are. That could be very helpful as a school board member. 
Yeah, I, I hope so. Because I mean, it's important to, you know, it's important to put other people's shoes on, right? And see where they're coming from. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely from a student's perspective. Um, yeah, absolutely. So speaking of adult conversations, um, <laughs> let's talk about the budget. Um, you know, there, in fact, I think the, the board is going to be meeting either today or tomorrow talking about it. And I saw the numbers and with this COVID crisis, I mean, the budget really took a turn and, um, you know, they were already in deficit spending. Now the deficits are getting deeper. Um, reserves are being depleted. Yeah. There's, there's a crisis going on. Um, kind of interested in your thoughts on the yeah. school, school budget. Yeah, so it's it's not an easy fix, and it's not one that's going to go away, you know, tomorrow for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I think um, the district said they had some like fifty million dollars in excess spending because of COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to that, uh, you know, the way our funding is structured, we're not even know how much money we're going to get from the government until all the income taxes are paid, which has been you know extended to July fifteenth. So, and then and there and all these people have been unemployed. Um, doesn't help the situation. So basically we're spending more, we're getting less revenue coming in. Um, I know Governor Newsom put out his uh, in May revised budget, which had like a 10% swing on COLA uh, for the funding formula. So basically instead of getting 2%, we're getting negative 8%. Um, and so that, that comes out to a bunch of money, right? And and now I think just yesterday they released some details. I think the legislation uh, they had an agreement with the governor. It's not signed, but the details. I haven't been able to review the details. They just came out uh, tomorrow to what that looks like. They came out yesterday. So the idea there is that we're going to – my understanding is that there's not going to be these draconian cuts to education in California, but there's going to be some deferral payments. So they're gonna basically we're going to be whole, but we're not going to – you know, the state's not going to be able to give us any money until you know later on down the road. So what that means is school districts that are strapped for cash because of these deficit spending we're talking about um, are, are going to be hurting. Um, I believe Poway's going to be okay for the short run, but I think eventually those those budget cuts are going to come to fruition at some point. So so I, I know I've been I've been studying the budget. I've been studying the budget of other school districts to kind of see how we compare. And I think we do better than most districts in San Diego County. I don't think we're on the short list for the county to come take us over like Sweetwater or whatnot. So but nevertheless, um, we're going to have to we're going to have to make some cuts. And I think it's either sooner or later kind of thing. It'd be interesting tomorrow as a school board to see how they address uh, these new numbers that just came out. And uh, we'll see how that goes. But I, I I've always been concerned about our deficit spending. Even when I was running back in 2016, we were pretty pretty healthy back then, but there's all this deficit spending. And in, in four years, that hasn't changed. And, and I, 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 it, it kind of blows my mind a little bit why that, that is. Um, so I'm sure Gavin Newsom's probably looking for a federal bailout, and I don't know if that's going to come. I don't think that's something we should wait for. Um, and so there's all, all kinds of concerns. Lots of questions like, what is it going to look like in the fall? Are we going to open, are we going to have, online classes are we have on campus that all affects the budget right um, so there's so many questions that it's and, and again it's not an easy fix i think we're going to be dealing with a, a strapped budget for at least five years going into the future i don't think it's something we're going to get this windfall from the federal government and be be mm-hmm. okay again so um real quick just one more thing i just thought of because of these deferral payments, though, that's something we have to. You know, I'm going to be watching tomorrow to see how they address these deferral payments. What that means is that we have less cash, so we're going to have to look at some internal borrowing mechanism. If we, there's money elsewhere and some other pot of money that we can borrow from, and, and I think we can do that in the short run, it's legal to do that. And if that's not the case, then you have to go 
you know, outside to external sources to borrow the money until we get our funding from you. And so, so it'll, it'll be really interesting to see how Power Unified addresses those situations going forward. And I'm hoping to get some answers tomorrow during the board meeting. Yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, just to share some of the numbers, I think um, for the 2019-2020 school year, they're forecasting a $15 million deficit. Right. And then the next school year, 2021, a $37 million deficit, which will bring our reserves down to $8 million, which is like around 1%. Right. Um, that means that in the 21-22 year and the 22-23 year, they need to cut $42.5 million out of their yeah. budget. <laughs> I mean, that's a ton. Well, and, you know, and you know, like 80% of our budget, 84, 85% of it's going to salaries, right? Right. Yeah. So, Benefits and everything else, right? Sure. So it's, so it's people, exactly where I was going with that. So what do you, what do, you do? And then I think that's why they've been kicking this can down, down, the, down the path for so long is nobody wants to make those difficult decisions, right? Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is, you know, yeah, I don't know. Again, I think of Gavin Newsom is waiting for this windfall from the government. I, I, I think you got to be more responsible in that. And, and, and I think whatever budget cuts you do, they, they have to be in line with your values, right? And that's what we need to get serious about. What are, our, what are we holding near and dear to us um, moving forward? I would hope it's the kids, right? That's the whole point of education right now is, is taking care of the children, right? So I think a lot of this is driven by labor and by the unions and um, – you know, the, the school board generally has been very, how should I say, they, they've, they've pro been, union. <laughs> yeah, pro, that's one way to say it. But yeah. definitely they've always been giving out raises. That's been one of my criticisms is that they've been giving out raises they couldn't afford. Um, I don't know if the if the unions have done any endorsements yet. When does that cycle usually occur? <laughs> Um, if I remember correctly, in 2016, it, it typically happened around, I want to say, September, October time. It was kind of late in the game. Mm-hmm. It was, I remember school was already back in. Um, I remember I, I, I interviewed for some of those endorsements. I didn't, I didn't get them at the time because I was just – when I was coming in 16, I was just getting my feet wet with the whole political process and campaigning. And, 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 and I, you know, I, for instance, I thought it was – you know, it's a nonpartisan position. A lot of people don't realize that school board is a nonpartisan position. So – so why would I need to go get a Democrat or Republican endorsement? I, I mean, this oh, is, yeah, but yeah. I learned that was not the case, right? <laughs> I mean, it was, again, it was a learning experience for me, but, but that goes back to the unions. I always thought maybe this is a conflict of interest if I go for an endorsement from the union, and then they're going to be expecting like a, you know, they're going to buy my vote for, for a pay raise. Um, so I think what's really missing is those critical questions. Is like, what are you giving up when you give that pay raise? What are you, what are you sacrificing? What are you not paying for? Um, and I don't hear that. When I go to the board meetings, I don't hear those critical questions coming out on, in the public. They might happen behind closed doors, but that's really, if you're an advocate for, for you know, the students in the community, making sure our taxpayer dollars are paid or used wisely, I would like to see those questions be public and, and have answers to them so everyone can benefit from, from them. Because I think a lot, of, I don't know if it's true, but I just feel like sometimes these decisions get made and, and, and the public's kind of left out in the cold, not understanding why they were made. And, and that, that's, you know, one of my things is about community oversight and community relations. And, and um, that's incredibly important because you have, and I think we spoke about this earlier, but my philosophy on, on leadership and taking charge or, or making difficult, it's not hard. Difficult decisions are not hard. What's really hard is explaining why you made the decision. Being able to explain all the information you took in, all the considerations you made, the analysis, and then being able to make a decision and, and articulating why you made that. Now, mm-hmm. if I do that, and I've done this a number of times in my, in my career, um, 
people might not always agree with what I say, but at least they'll understand it and they'll respect it. And then we can move on. And if we have difference of opinion, we can have a, a good adult conversation about it. But um, I don't think that's happening in the public, at least. And then, so that's where you get a lot of people trying to fill in the gaps on their own and, and slippery slope there. Well, you know, um, you, you're right. I, I think that's part of the frustration for voters and for you know, even people in the media. They see politicians voting certain ways. They don't know why. They have a suspicion why, um, you know, in terms of the, the power structure and who's scratching who's back. But, um, you know, one I mean, this is on the national level. One one politician that I greatly respect is Justin Amash. And I've talked about him a lot on this podcast. And one of the things that he does is he will explain on his Facebook page um, all of the difficult votes he makes and why he, ma- he yeah. voted the way he did. And what's interesting is that even if you don't agree with the way he votes, you respect what he's doing because he's he's respecting you and yes. explaining himself. I, I just thought that's fantastic. And that, that that's exactly how I, you know, if you go back to, you know, so I've been a military officer for over 20 years and I retired. And so you learn a lot about leadership and it's not like reading a book. It's not like watching YouTube. I mean, you actually got to go out there and practice it. Right. I mean, imagine trying to learn how to play the trombone from just reading a book. It doesn't work. Right. So, <laughs> right. so, so, and I, I've always learned, and I've always taught, and this is going back to the academy, I've been able to share this wisdom with my with the shipment going ready to go out into the world and, and, and leave this country, is that when you're dealing with difficult decisions, you have to really take a step back and understand why you're making the decision you're making and then be able to back it up and, 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 and you know, articulate that. And, and, and when you do that, it makes the conversation going forward so much easier and, and it builds rapport, builds trust. So all nothing but good things. The problem is, it's hard for people to do that. It's a skill. You have to really, it's a really a skill to be able to analyze why are you, you know, to reflect upon why you're doing what you're doing and does it make sense? Is it in line with your values? And, and so if you can say that these are my values and this is a decision I'm making and yes, they are aligned, then you're golden at that point. And again, you're not going to make everybody happy, but, but at least you have the respect and you understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I agree completely. So hopefully if, if you're elected, you'll have an opportunity to do that. And I think, if you do, you're going to get great respect from from people on all sides of the issue. Yeah. Um, I think people will really will really rally around that. Right, and I hope so. That, that's what I'm that's what I'm campaigning on for sure. Um, you know, the other kind of hot issue lately with the school district is the Poway Center for the Performing Arts (PCPA). You know, the city and the and the school district kind of have a joint use agreement; they share it, but. Um, now, I think they're talking about either uh, the city selling it to the school district or at least transferring um, management to the school district. I don't know how that's going to shake out, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are on sure. the Howie Center for the Performing Arts. So, so I've been doing a lot of research on this, trying to figure out what's really going on. And I know there's a group out there that's doing the same thing. Um, I even talked to two, two different um, board members, current board members, about what's going on. And here we are the day before. We have, it's the day before um, their board meeting is tomorrow. And I think they're going to finally first discuss it in closed session tomorrow with the board members. So, And we already know there's been discussion between um, – 
Power Unified and and the city council about negotiating how this is going to work, if it's going to work at all. And what I've been able, and the biggest concern I, I can see, so so most people that I've talked to are like, no, okay, but but there's a, there's two different kinds of no, right? There's a no from the Power Unified School District side. We're saying, how are we going to pay for this? Not just for the procurement of the building or the facility, but for the maintenance and operations of it, right? Yes. And then then there's the no from the city council side, members, not only the city council, but the people on Poway side, we were like, well, if the if the school buys it, does that mean Poway on stage is going away? Does that mean all of our pro- professional services? Is, you know, what does that really mean for us? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, those are two very, very valid concerns. And and going back to what we just said a moment ago, there's this lack of transparency. Nobody's being able. No, there's no information um, that's really helping fill the fill the void. And so, people are starting to do some research on their own, which is great. Um, to kind of hold them accountable. And so I don't know what the details are. There's, I've seen so many different numbers on like what the actual maintenance costs are. And, and quite honestly, if we're going to be frank about this, <laughs> Poway City Council has really mismanaged this entire facility. They, 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 in my mind, they they were taking like a six, $700,000 hit every year on it. Yeah, exactly. And that, that just blows my mind. Like, how do you, how do you do business like that? You should be at least breaking even. Right. So there's probably some contractual agreements here that, that were not favorable to the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, you know that so there's they're not upkeeping it so there's a lot of deferred maintenance that's going on so like so if there's a transaction dollars well that's again you know i know what the number says but let's open it up and let's see what's really missing right because okay. because okay. if you want if you i guarantee you that number changes if you want to maintain this as a professional facility for you know professionals to come and perform on as opposed to just for children to to, to do their their plays or their orchestra you know recitals or whatnot, there's a difference in cost of how you want to maintain this building depending on the purpose of it. So so what is the real cost? We won't know until we understand what the real use is going to be because I, I I almost suspect that Power Unified has a different thing in mind than the city does, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not I'm a little bit of speculation here, so I don't really know what the real deal is, and I would love to. I would love to be in there in those negotiations, figure it out. Because if, if you really deferred maintenance on this for so long, I mean, well, is that part of the negotiation to make purchase? Are you going to be able to, you know, maybe, maybe do a co-op between the city and the school, which you've already done, but it's, and then the other part of it is, okay, so, so the power unified buys it. Can they maintain, do they have, do they have the expertise to operate it? You know, and, and then what is that going to cost? That's not going to come out of no facility fund. That's going to come out of your general fund. If you're talking about salary again, so, so there's all these questions that, that come up. So, so to be able to have this conversation or even vote on it here in the near future seems, seems really, really odd to me because there's a lot of questions that the taxpayers don't know what's going on. Um, so why not do some workshops? Let's figure this out. Let's figure out what, what, are the, what, are the, what are the options out there? What's in the realm of possibility to make this transition if that's what's really going to happen? And then the other thing is, what about a third party coming in and making a procurement on the facility? We, I mean, that's not even that hasn't even been discussed. So I don't know. There's so many variables, and, I, and it, it just blows my mind how behind closed doors everything is. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of stakeholders that are kind of left out in the dark. And I, I, have, a, I have a real issue with that at this, this time. So. Yeah, I think it, I think it's widely um, uh, embraced by the community as an important asset in Poway. Um, but yeah, who's going to hold the hot potato, you know, as far as, yeah, six to $700,000 a year in the red. Um, 
which is incredible. And it's not just like one year. This has been like ongoing. <laughs> yes. And then meanwhile, you know, the school district is going to have a $37 million deficit next year. Yes. And you're like, how does this work? So it seemed like with Measure P, the bond issue that failed um, in March, that that might have been a way to get money sure. and kind of move money around um, and 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 open up space in the budget that they could use for the the PCPA. So yeah, I, I that, that failed. So now where's the money coming from? Right. Well, they're going <laughs> to keep coming back. I, 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 is the bond measure going to be on the ballot? And I have not heard about that yet. So I, I've asked, but it seems like everyone I ask right now, the main focus is, you know, what does school look like in the fall? It seems like everyone's attention is really drawn to COVID-19 and how we get back to normalcy, where that new normalcy is. So, so I have not heard or discussed with anyone that, that says, yeah, we're going to put the bond back on the ballot in November. And right, and honestly, I, I don't think they know if they're going to do that at this time. Um, but we can we can talk about Measure P and my thoughts on that. Yeah, please. Let me share. <laughs> what did you so, think of that bond measure? Yeah, so I, I think it was, it was needed for the school district. The facilities are, are kind of, you know, the health are it's diminishing, right? I don't want to say right. dilapidated. That's a strong word, but but they need they they need some funding for that. So I think that's necessary. My concern with it, and, and everything I've read, including the surveys that the, the Power Unified put out, and talking to everybody in the community, it wasn't it, maybe it was too much. It was only like a half a billion dollar kind of yeah. a little more for So that that was one concern. But more importantly, I think it was it was a trust issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it came up in every discussion. You know, you know because of all the history of Power Unified with the previous superintendent and all that, there's there's trust that's still not there. And, and, and the school district would always say, well, it's new leadership. Yeah, I get that. But the, the hurt, the pain's still there, right? Yes. There's, and so, and so, um, and then you're going to come back and ask me for another half a billion dollars more later on. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and then they did a really good job. They had this, they had a nice little, um, they had a, um, basically a plan how they're going to spend the money. And they, they talked about um, how they were going to prioritize projects and all that. And I thought that was a great move on the district's part. But I mean, we didn't start talking about this bond until like two or three months prior to, to March. And, and so now you're, and they did workshops. They did, they did a good job getting out to the public and trying to explain the bond, but they, but to build trust in two or three months over half a billion dollars, I think it's a little, little, little quick. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of people that I talked to felt that there is kind of being kind of rushed and kind of thrown down their, you know, their throats a little bit and they had to, they had to decide and there's still questions to be asked. And so I, I would have, I would have advocated for a longer window to, to get the message out, to have these community, community relations built up and, and, you know, give the people a chance to, to speak their mind and, and kind of a voice at the table. And so the fact that it felt like it was being rushed, it was such a large number. And oh, by the way, we still have the cab out there. We're going to be paying for that in 10 years. Yeah. So, so yeah. you know, so many, so many concerns there. I, I, I could see why it felt. But here's the other thing about it, though. It wasn't the only bond that failed in that election. It was kind of a right. systemic thing. So it was kind of, kind of like the public saying to schools that we're not, we're not paying this time around. Right. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was isolated to power unified, but those issues I just brought up, I'm sure just kind of added on to, to reason not to why it did not pass. Yeah. Um, I think there were, yeah, there was, I don't know how many school bond measures there were in the County, but it was a, a good handful of them. And yeah. I think every one of them lost, didn't they? Maybe yeah. For, one yeah maybe, lost. maybe one or two. Yeah. I have to go back. Yeah. But um, yeah, that all, and, and then, yeah, so it all, so it was more of a systemic thing going on. And, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, and that was all prior to COVID too. I mean, really, we didn't know about COVID nineteen at the right. point. So, so um, I don't know if it's going to come back in November. I, I, honestly, I don't. I don't. 
I don't know. Well, decide. My suspicion is, is it'll come back. They'll they'll be asking for more money at some point, whether it's in November or if we wait until 2022. Sure. Because uh, that's been the history. I mean, back before the billion dollar bond passed, they tried multiple times to pass it. Okay. And then that was back when it required a two thirds. And then okay. they changed the rules, made it only 55 percent. Then they finally got passed. <laughs> so um, I think they'll be coming back. I just don't know when. So, so. and then the other part is like, how much are they going to ask for? Are they going to come back for another half a billion? Or are they going to ask for like two hundred million dollars or right? something that's more manageable? I don't I don't know. It's a good question. I don't I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Right. <laughs> it's just it's amazing how enormous amount of money that is and we just kind of talk about it so flippantly um but yeah so yeah i agree i think there is a legitimate need for upgrading facilities i'm not disputing that but to your point i think that there is a trust issue um school board members are trustees you know and i think the the trust was eroded you know back with the billion dollar bond and superintendent john collins and we just haven't gotten back the, the school district and the board haven't gotten back in the good graces of the public. I don't and that think it takes time. It takes time and it takes, you need some, you need, you need some small wins, right? You need something to show that, Hey, um, so getting out into the community, I think is a big part of it. So something that's really different now when I'm running now, as opposed to, you know, 16 where it was at large. So you had, you know, 36,000 students to, to, to kind of get out. And then I think, Population about 135,000 people, right? Now in my district, we're talking like 22,000 people. We're talking seven schools, much more manageable, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I've been doing is I've been getting out to to the public. I've been getting out, uh, you know, been kind of cold calling principals and uh, PTA members and, and parents and just to try and see, you know, I think I know what the issues are. And But I want to know is this, you know, what are their issues? That's really what I'm here is their representative. I'm ready to be their representative. And I'm finding out there's a lot of things I had no idea about. Ah. It seems like the more, the more I learn or the more people I meet, the more I learn, the more I need to go learn more. Right. It's like, it's just ongoing, which I love. And I love talking to them, but here's, here's something that I think a board membership, one of their duties should be to get out and engage with their constituents. Right. So what I, what some of the, man, there's a couple, I talked to a few different principals and, and one of them said, Hey, look, I, in, in the five years, in the last five years, I've seen, I've seen a board member on campus twice. Wow. Yeah. Another one said, well, the only time they come by are for photo ops, and they don't really know what's going on, right? And we've all seen the photo ops, right? Of course. And so that is no way to represent your district. I mean, and, and I don't know if it's because people were elected at large, but now we're in, we're in a we're in, you know, district. So these are these – are, these are the people I'm going to represent in this school board. Um, so I'll take their issues. I'm sure our issues in, in South Poway may be different than North Power for whatever reason. But the point is to be able to articulate what those issues are and advocate for, for those. So if there's going to be budget cuts, I'm sure we have different needs. Um, some, of, some of the schools in my district are Title I, but some of them are on the margin, and that, that might affect them more so. And so if there's you know a need that needs to be um, adhered not adhered to, but a need that needs to be addressed, and I want to make sure that I represent them at those at those board meetings, and, and I would expect every single board member to do the same thing. And that that requires talking and getting out and, and, and to hear hear out the public, and not just show up for a photo op, right? Um, so so and and so I, I learn a lot. I talked to um, one of the one of the um, one of the parents today on the phone, I, and 
and I just reached out and I said, Hey, I'm running for school board. I'd love to kind of pick your brain and see how things are going for you at, at, at an elementary school she's at. And she had nothing but good things to say. So that was fantastic. Nice. And then she, and then she had a, a recommendation. Um, and I said, okay, that's great. And so we talked about her recommendation um, and how we could make it, you know, work or not work or, you know, you know why it might be the way. And I don't want to get too specific because, because, you know, I can't promise everything to everybody, but I can definitely, I can definitely hear them out and, and we can have a conversation about, you know, again, not being right or wrong, but just getting better. How do we get better from here? And so it's not always, which I love because it's not, it's not, we're not complaining. We're just, Hey, here's how it is. Here's, here's some issues we're dealing with. And I can take that and I can run with it and I can, and um, yeah, so I enjoy, I really enjoy that. I didn't, I didn't do that last time because <laughs> I, I just ran, I was just trying to run and, and I didn't really get out into the community and, and have these conversations. And, and now um, now that I'm doing it, it, it just it just energizes me even more to get out there and, and keep keep those conversations going. What 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 are they telling you? I mean, I mean, you don't need to take a specific person, sure. but is there a theme that sure. you're hearing? What are the big issues that are concerning parents and are also concerning school principals and teachers? So so on my website, I talk about equity over equality. That's the that 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 was not there, you know, two weeks or three weeks or when I started talking. That seems to be the biggest issue. You know, is are my concerns being adhered to? Right? Um, is having this engagement, having this voice at the table. Uh, these are smaller elementary schools. They feel like they're being left out of the decision making process that's occurring at the district level. Uh, who's who's advocating for my needs? Right? That's not happening. There's no engagement from a board rep. There's no board member there to hear them out and to be able to advocate for them. They're not getting that. So that engagement, that lack of uh, transparency, what's going on, that's usually what's really coming up. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a economic disparity between, you know, people, the affluent people live in high North and then some of the folks in these, um, you know, title one schools. So when you talk about foundations, that's a concern. I don't have the answer for that, but there's some schools can raise a, a, a yeah. button, a load of money and other schools, not so much. Right. I mean, I don't know how to say it. Any yeah, way. It's real. But how do you, how do you, it's real. How do you deal with that? Right. Um, so again, their needs are different. And, and I think what's really missing is that engagement and that representation. And that, that really is probably a common theme that I'm hearing from every parent, every, every administrator that I talk to. Um, so, you know, I talked to this number of PTA reps and, and they've got the great story there too. So uh, yeah, that, I think that's probably the biggest thing I'm hearing from, from them. So going in, um, when you are announcing your candidacy and what's what's the big problem you want to solve? What kind of really innovative idea do you yeah. have to bring to the table? What's something special you can do or at least you can you can propose? Sure. So in March, I, I, I addressed the board about this topic. Um, I'm really passionate about it. Um, so. In the um, performance psychology degree I got and then helping with the students we talked about earlier, um, I started up a practice and now it's kind of like on, on idle, you know, basically to help athletes, um, you know, not just be good, but be great at what they do, teach them all these life skills, right? But the more I thought about it, I was like, man, this is, um, every kid should have this. Like, this isn't just something for, you know, an Olympian athlete. I mean, this is something that, because if you think about performance, it's not just, you know, running around on a track or playing a basketball game or football. I mean, you can talk about academics, right? To take, sit down and take a test, you're performing. And you could use a lot of these skills to, to regulate your temperature and your anxiety and whatnot mm-hmm. and, and do really well. So, and, and I had an issue that, um, I had an issue that only the, only affluent students and athletes can afford my services. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like that. I, again, I thought everyone should prosper from this. I go back, uh, you know, I'm an economics professor. I teach at Palomar as an adjunct. 
and and I and the first thing I hit every student up with is Adam Smith, all right, uh-huh. and and the wealth of nations and yeah. and, the, and the roles of government and the, you know the roles of government to protect protect your citizens from you know social injustice and oppression to protect your your citizens from you know foreign foreign powers and and then the third one that he talks about is basically providing public goods public services and, and, and so I think of mental skills and life skills as a public good it's something that we all can benefit from it's it's not something that we should pay for it's not something that um, you know if I use it it's not going to preclude anyone else from using it so so again and if we teach young adults or adolescents how to use these skills. I think it's just the entire, all of society benefits from that. Mm-hmm. And so, so my proposal is, Hey, we need to get some more, you know, some more counselors. Right. And I know this, you know, they've heard this before they get it more counselors. got that just costs more money. Hey, did you know we got COVID-19 going on? We got you know, all these budget issues going on. How do we get more counselors? No, I, I get that. Well, here's my proposal. My proposal is why don't we, team up with our community resources. There's a, we're in San Diego with a lot of universities around here, a lot of schools around here, and they're not only learning how to be, you know, you know sports psychologists or, or, you know, social workers, but there's a lot of different programs out here that, and these students need, they need their, their hours. In order to get certified, they need to get their hours. And so why not we have a strategic plan that goes across Power Unified School District and utilize internships um, to come into our program and then get their hours, our students get the services, and we can do it at a very low cost. Mm-hmm. And you might be, pay one supervisor to manage the number of you know, interns from different schools, um, and you would get, you know, it's, just, it's like a force multiplier if you start using that. But I think yeah. what's important to do that, you've got to go all in. You can't just do it willy-nilly. You can't just, you know, kind of half-heartedly go in. You've got to have a strategic plan and be able to implement it and, and have these connections. Uh, with these universities. So um, I've talked to my, my mentor at national. He thought it was a great idea. He's got a, he's got a classroom full of, you know, nine, nine students that could totally benefit. I'm sure Alliance has something. I'm sure San Diego, um, SDSU has something you see it. So there's lots of benefits. So we need somebody to go out there and, 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 and be an advocate for power unified to, to stand up something like this. Um, that's, that's one thing I thought of, but I know, you know, being a uh, school board member, there's, there's a bunch of other things that's going on. But if there's, you ask me if there's one thing I, I can implement, that would probably be it right there. Yeah. I mean, I, you hear a lot about that, you know, sort of like life skills um, is not really taught. Like, how do you balance a checkbook or, you know, cer- certain mm-hmm. basic things about how to be a successful adult. Some students don't get that from their family. No, and I, and I can tell you, Naval Academy, I think the top 1% of the nation goes to the, the service academies, mm-hmm. and one of our most popular classes was personal finance. Yeah, <laughs> they don't, yeah, you're you right. They don't, they don't get it. No, it's yeah. true. Yeah, so Absolutely. I could see a lot of that being helpful. And yeah, wouldn't it be great to have mentors from local businesses that can provide that? And you know, not only would that be a financial win for the district, but it would be a, a good thing for the community, right? Absolutely. And so those, so leveraging our community's resources, I think is what we need to do a better job of. And we have a lot of smart parents in the district, right? Oh, yeah. And so let's, let's, let's pull them, see what, where their benefit, where, where their expertise is. And, and let's see if we can get them in. So I'm sure they would love to volunteer and, and, and help out. Um, and, yeah, I'm sure the personal finance is the number one. That's another one that we would always stress at the Naval Academy because, Coming out of there, you get like a $30,000 loan, like a 1%. They call it like a starter loan. Mm-hmm. And you'd be surprised how many guys and girls just go off to Vegas. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> <So> <laughs> not a good day. But I mean, yeah, I'm better at it now, I'm sure. But yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That's all right. That's all right. Um, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen in the fall? Are, are, 
Or do you think the, the students are all going to go back? Is there going to be a hybrid model with distance learning and in classroom? I mean, what, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, so the latest, the latest guidance I understand from the district is they, they sent out a survey early on and they asked parents if they wanted to do all, all online, all on campus or some hybrid. I think mm-hmm. a hybrid model um, option got the lowest percentage. So now they're going to do a second survey and offer up just the two, either all on campus or all online. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's premature. I mean, but you got to plan, so don't get me wrong. So I, I think it's premature in a sense to make a decision because – you know, we know that our numbers are just continuously going up in California when it comes to uh, COVID-19. But, right. And I don't think we – what's concerning is if, you know, the hospitals get full and then you can't get treated. I think that's concerning. But to answer your question, I think I would love to see a hybrid model personally, but I know that would take an extensive amount of planning, more than two or three months to really plan it out and do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you should have an online option. For students that or parents that don't want their students to go back because they know there's not going to be a vaccine in two months, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure there's I'm sure there's teachers out there that don't want to go back as well, yeah. especially in the high risk category, right? Yeah. So to me, it seems like a no brainer that you have to have an online option. Mm-hmm. Then it goes back to the um, on campus option, right? I think you can offer that for for people that feel the opposite of the, what we discussed. They're, they're okay with it, and that that got to give them a choice, right? So, and I'm sure there's 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 teachers that feel the same way, but here's the trick on that one. You've got to be ready to switch it to an online, online campus, right? Go from, mm-hmm. from on campus to online uh, curriculum. So you have to have a hybrid that's not a hybrid, but you have to have curriculum that's flexible to go both ways. Very much like what we did in, in the spring. Um, now, I don't know what they're going to do, but that's how I would do it. I would plan for both. I've, I've studied, I'm not studied, but I, I went to a few webinars on a number of other districts in the state and how they do business. And it seems like the ones that were most successful were the districts that already had an online presence. They had that option already there. Um, so I think we should definitely start moving in that direction, regardless of what happens with COVID-19. I think some students just do better in that, in that environment. They're more you know, self-starters and more, you know, so they can do the self-study thing and do it quite well. And that, that's okay. Um, so I think having those two options, I think, is, is incredibly important going forward. And then understand if you go on campus, just be ready to switch it back to online. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say that I was impressed with the district and what they did in the short period of time that they did. But going back to March, I, I, I really like how they, within a matter of what, two or three weeks, we're basically mm-hmm. online. Um, I'm an adjunct professor at, at Palomar. As I mentioned, we did the same thing. And that, that transition is not easy. It's not easy for the parents. No, it's not easy for... It's not, yeah, it's not easy for the administrators and it's definitely not easy for the, for the children, right? So everyone's going through this, this change and they're trying to deal with the best way they can. Um, my wife's a preschool teacher and, and <laughs> preschool and online just don't, I, I don't think it works. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, I gotta say though, I really enjoy watching my, my, my wife dance in front of the computer to her <laughs> Zoom class. So, right. But it, it was, it was good, but, but they did what they can. I mean, it was a new experience for everybody. We're trying to figure it out. So again, I don't think we should be overly critical how things were done, but I think it, it's more important to think about what are the best practices we can learn from so many different schools, including ourselves, and let's work on a solution that's going to help us move forward and get better. Like, uh, I think I, I see a lot of chatter on hybrid. A lot of people want hybrid classes, right? Um, but um, my day job as a program manager, I, I, I manage about 40 or so you know, engineering staff, and we had to go online, and that's a transition. from So from an administrator's perspective, which is where I was in that case, it, it's challenging. Um, it's very challenging, but if I were to try and set something up for academic curriculum to be a hybrid, you know, two or three days in campus and then the rest self-study or online, 
I think that just that takes a lot of planning because you're not just considering the, the children. Talk about transportation. Talk about the food and all the costs. Of, so there, there's yeah. just so much that goes into that. I just don't know if it, it'd be realistic for any school to do that well and efficiently in two or three months planning. So that's kind of my thoughts on that. Well, yeah, it, it, it takes a great deal of effort for them to spin up, you know, some kind of online curriculum. But I'm, I agree with you. I think it's regardless of what happens with COVID. I think it's good that, that they have an online um, option because yeah. uh, to your point, a lot of students do better with online. Um, and then if there's another emergency, then they're prepared. Yes, right. um, and then on top of it, imagine and I'm just kind of thinking, um, you know, spitballing here. But imagine if like 10 to 20 percent of the students um, really embraced online learning. Well, you would have a lot less need for maintenance of the physical schools. You'd have smaller classrooms, too. And that, too. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of upside. Sure. If some if, if there's more of this online option, it could be less expensive and give deliver a higher quality of education on a more personalized level. So I think yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot to be said for this. It's just painful going through the process in such a hurry. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, so the, that, that's the hard part. Because you want to make sure, again, we're, we're dealing with taxpayer dollars, right? You want to make sure that we're doing this efficiently and it's being effective, right? And, and it's not just getting the kids to switch. you gotta, you got to train up the, the teachers, right? you got to train them up because online curriculum is different than, you know, on campus. So there's lots of different things you got to take into consideration. And I, I'm pretty sure we don't have enough professional development hours for our teachers to, to switch over to online, right? Yeah. So, but And not all teachers prefer that. And, and mm-hmm. I, I really... I enjoy being in front of a, you know, in-person teaching there. That, that I, I prefer that. So even for me, switching over to online, that was that was different. Um, yeah. But, you know, I got there. But I, if, I had cho- if I had to choose personally, I, I want to be in front of the students talking. Of course, and, yeah. And, wow. This is, this is an interesting time. Um, a lot of big issues to tackle um, yeah. at the school board level and, and just kind of a – interesting time in in american history right now that we're going through i agree i think i think even even in in the economy it's going to change right so many people are so like risk averse to teleworking but now everyone's doing it and they're realizing that they can be just as productive and 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 i mean i work from my garage which is great and so my commute is like not nothing and then i can have lunch with my my you know wife and kids if i want which mostly that 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 that's Quality of life just kind of fit the you know itself. Now there are trade offs because sure. again I'm not I'm not with my employees and I'm not building that rapport you know and then you know so I, I'm doing it over phone or over Zoom and that's that's challenging too. But there are trade offs to it. So you know I like the idea of a hybrid hybrid solution, um, but I want to do it right. I don't want to just jump into it. So I understand. Yeah. Well. You know, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. This is great. I mean, I think people are getting to know you um, as a school board candidate. Um, and we're just getting the, the campaign season going here. I mean, so yeah, you've yeah. already been out there talking to people. Um, yeah. That's great. Usually it doesn't start getting hot and heavy until we get deeper into the summer. Yeah, and I've been fortunate. Again, I tell it works. I work from home. And so if I need to break away for a little bit to go meet somebody or get on a phone call with someone, it's, it's really easy to do. And so I, I just try to take advantage of that. I started reaching out to people, you know, in June. I understand there's the graduations and the end of school wrap up. But, but a lot of the administrators still work. And so now we're going into the summer People have nowhere to go for, for the most part. Yeah. So I, I'm finding that people are more available than I than you know 
than I'd realized they were. And, and it was also a lesson I learned from the last time I campaigned. Uh, you just got to get out there and start talking to people. And, and I, you know, as this conversation is going, I really enjoy doing that. So that was easy. Right on. Well, it's, it's because it's so early. I mean, heck, what, what's today? June 24th. Yeah. Will you, will yeah. you come back, you know, maybe of course. in a few months, <laughs> you know? I, yeah. I was going to say, if we could have planned this a little better, I would have probably said, let's meet after the board meeting because there would be a lot more to talk about. We could easily do this again on Friday because we'll see what they come up with, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you're welcome to, to join me again. And and, and I, I put this out to all candidates that are running for office to join me here on the John Riley Project and let, give voters a chance to get to know you because um, I love having these conversations because, you know, you're trying to do the right thing for the community. People deserve to get to know you. And it's so hard hard for a candidate to get their message out. You know, mailers are expensive. You know, uh, you might be lucky if you get a two sentence quote in the local newspaper. The debates are rare and you'd only get 30 seconds to respond. So and, and well, how's that going to look now? But how's that going to look now? Ian, right. Because, you know, back in the day, you could do like these, uh, you know, uh, meet and greets. Right. And now yeah. COVID-19 and social distancing and then we used to go. Yeah. These debates and these panel forums you'd have. And I, I don't know what's going to happen going forward. So. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate having this platform and, um, you know, joining you and being able to get the word out. Yeah, for sure. I, I'd be happy to come back again. I mean, I, okay. I, well, I, you're welcome to this. come back. <laughs> All other candidates are welcome to join us here as well. And I was going to, what I like to do at the end of these, these podcasts is just to ask, how can they reach you? But I can see it right there on your <laughs> good, green good. screen, you know, so Jimmy for PUSD.com. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And I do, I do it. So, um, Karen is my last one, obviously. So if you go Karen for PUSD, that works too. And on Facebook, it's, it's Karen for PUSD. So I have a Facebook and a, and a website. Uh, you can learn a little bit more about my background and, and some of the stuff I believe in, but I think we cover a lot of it. But, but yeah, as, as I go out and talk to the community, I'll be updating the website and the Facebook page to talk about things I've learned. Uh, again, with the budget, there's a lot more information coming out. So I've been watching the, yeah, I've been watching that. The PCPA is a hot topic. I'm really, I have a lot of questions on how they're going to try and pull this one off if they do take it over. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, you started off with, you know, um, the Black and PUSD Instagram. And, and the, you know, Black Lives Matter, is, it's a big deal. And I was really happy to see our, our community kind of, you know, nice. get together and do it peacefully. Um, so I'm a big advocate for people that have trouble or, or can't advocate for themselves, for sure. So I'm all about... Um, I'm all about this community. We've lived here since 2007. Um, I have four kids, two have gone all the way through Poway High, and I've got one in Garden Road who's going to start second grade, and another one who's going to start Poway High as a freshman. So that'll be interesting to see how it plays out with the new yeah. situation. So, But, um, yeah, so we're, we're all in. We're going to be here for a long time. Um, I think I have a lot to offer. Again, my, you know, I'm all about um, giving back to the community. I've served the country for over 24 years, and I, I plan to keep doing that. I've learned a lot. I think I have a lot to share. And I like to think that I can um, – I think I like to think I could solve problems or help solve problems in a, in a civilized, transparent, diplomatic way. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. That's so good. That's where I'm at with that, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think we can use some of that on the board for Oh, sure. my goodness. Yes. Uh, please. We need some <laughs> of that. So uh, Jimmy Karam, a candidate for Poway Unified School District, uh, School Board District E. Right. Yeah, e. Right OK, yeah. so which is kind of the southern half of Poway and much of Sabre Springs. Right. That's right. OK. That's right. You got it. Well, thanks for joining me. And I've, I've loved this conversation and good luck to you on your campaign. Right. On. Thanks. John. Appreciate it. Appreciate, appreciate the time. Thank you. <laughs>